Hello and welcome to another episode of In the Narthex. Today we are switching things up, taking a step outside of our normal, and we're having what we're calling a battle royale to discuss the all-important issue of worship lighting. Is there a more fitting atmosphere for corporate worship? Should lights be up? Should lights be down? And we have assembled some crack teams here to discuss. We all know there's lots of opinions about this, and sometimes people come in with a biblical rationale for why lights should be on or down. And is there really a more biblical opinion about this? So in our very first edition of Battle Royale, Jeff and Lucas have picked sides. They have assembled teams. And first off on team lights down is myself. I know I'm the moderator, but we're gonna we're gonna call it okay. Um, we've got uh, Joel Smith here and ready to rumble, and Lucas Hattenberger, and on team lights up, Jeff Thune. That's right. Denise Parati present, and Chris Ward. Hello, it's good to be here. So we are gonna take a couple minutes. Each team is gonna have a chance to state their position, and then we'll discuss it. And then we'll go to the other side and we'll see where we go. I think my goal in this is that we can all still attend church together on Sunday morning, not hate each other. Um, so let's see how we go. Um, yeah, so team lights up. Go ahead and make your case. Yeah, so uh, on behalf of my esteemed colleagues, Chris Ward, Denise Parati, I think we all know, the three of us know, that we have been maybe typecast as the old, crusty fundamentalists who think that lights should be up, and we're okay with that. Let me adjust my pleated khakis right now, pull them up a little bit more. Guys, you do the same. Um, we are all about our fundamentalist heritage, and we're gonna be as curmudgeon as possible in presenting this opinion. No, seriously, I would say that Lights Up is a more gospel-centered place to land, and it's not even close. And I see Chris shaking his head. Yes, that's true. Um, what we're going to argue is two things. Number one, light better echoes, expresses, and represents what we have all experienced in Christ and as Christ followers. So we could call this a personal or experienced gospel position. Number two, we're going to say that light better echoes, expresses, and represents what we are all to embody in Christ and as Christ followers. So we would call that a corporate or embodied gospel. So let's start with number one. Light better echoes, expresses, and represents what we all have experienced in Christ and as Christ followers. This personal experienced gospel is what we're talking about. So um, one way to do this, one way that anyone develops a sort of systematic theology is they go to the scripture, they go through the scripture, they sweep up every passage, every verse that kind of talks about a specific issue or subject. In this case, we're talking about light, um, sweeps them all up and says, okay, so what is the thread that r runs all the way out through, through the scripture? So that's what we're going to do. We're just going to walk you through again first talking about how light better echoes, expresses, and represents what we all have experienced in Christ and as Christ followers. Starting in the prophets, in Isaiah chapter 9, this verse, this passage that's usually pretty famous as we're talking about the incarnation, as we're talking about Advent, 
But Isaiah chapter 9 says, but there will be no gloom for who, her who was in anguish. In former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And then there's this statement. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell, excuse me, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So obviously the prophet here is foretelling something that's going to happen, promising something that God is going to do, that those who dwelt in a land of, of darkness have seen a great light. How is that going to happen? He'll go on to say, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be, called, or shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And then it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So foretelling, prophesying, promising um, that those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, light is going to shine, it's going to dawn, it's coming in this child who will be a king. Um, we pick that thread up as then the gospel writers um, begin to talk about Jesus, about his coming, about his birth, about his ministry, about who he will be. Even in, in Matthew chapter 4, with the heading, Jesus begins his ministry, Matthew grabs that same um, Isaiah, this, this passage, this well-known prophecy. He brings it into uh, the New Testament times, the times of Jesus. Um, and it says, And leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, that's of the nations, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And then it says, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You might say, well, okay, maybe Matthew got it wrong. Maybe he was applying that scripture to Jesus, even that imagery of him being the light, um, him lighting up this dark world, lighting up these, um, these people's deadness spiritually. Well, if you move into John, Jesus himself says, this is John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So that's him understanding himself to be this light um, on which um, this world that, that had la laid in darkness has been lit up, the the light has dawned, Jesus has come, this promised one, this Messiah, uh, the, the, the truth, the light, the life. Um, and then as we kind of go, okay, so as we come near to Jesus and follow Jesus and, uh, and um, surrender our lives to Jesus, listen to what Paul says. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness 
has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Um, so there again, uh, the gospel writers, Paul, um, Jesus himself, all understanding, hey, th- this is who Jesus is, and as we come to Jesus and surrender to Jesus and, and unite ourselves to Jesus, um, we, the, the light then transfers into us, there's this new birth, there's um, this new reality, we've become new creations, um, Colossians chapter 1 says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So that's, that's the Christian experience. The Christian experience is being transferred from darkness into light um, through Christ, through his gospel, through the work of the Holy Spirit. We've been regenerated. We've been made new. We're now in the light, so to speak, um, light has shone in our hearts. Um, Peter puts it this way, therefore you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All of that to say, again, our stated point from the, the first, first part of our argument, light just better echoes, expresses, and represents what we have experienced as Christians. Um, the gospel has transformed us. It's brought us out of darkness into light. So hopefully that makes sense. It's, it's better echoes, expresses, represents what we've all experienced. And then secondly, we, say, we would say, it better echoes, expresses, and represents what we are all to embody as Christ followers, as his church. Um, Psalm chapter 56 says, For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may do what? That I may walk before God in the light of life. Um, So again, because I've experienced that, because I've been brought from death to life, from dark to light, I'm supposed to live in light of that and walk before God in light of that. Um, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all those in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Um, Paul picks up this. He, he saw this in his own ministry. Ephesians chapter 3 of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. Again, that's what Paul experienced. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given in order that I might preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden in the ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made now known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So again, um, we are um, as a collective group of Christ followers, as his church, as his people, who have been brought from darkness into light, we are supposed to now express that, embody that, live that out, walk in that light, um, shine that light, uh, and in a sense reflect what has happened to us.
Um, so you say, okay, Jeff. Okay, Chris. Okay, Denise. Um, that all sounds incredibly biblical and sound, airtight even. Um, but a possible objection would be, okay, you say we're called to embody the gospel, but that's primarily for those who are not yet in Christ, who are not yet in the light, and therefore it has no real bearing at all on whether or not the lights are up in our corporate worship services, right? Um, well, I would say you are wrong, my friend. <laughs> and here is why. Um, here is why it has bearing. It, it, it bears weight. Um, Psalm chapter 40, this probably my favorite, one of my favorite Psalms, mainly because um, Bono on the Edge wrote uh, an incredible song based on Psalm 40 that you all probably know the words to, and I don't need to sing them for you right now. Um, but, uh, but Psalm 40 says this, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. No, no, no. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. The reason I bring that up is simply like even David himself is saying, hey, um, this light that has come to me that is now supposed to shine through me that I'm supposed to walk in, even in, especially in, the congregation of the saints, um, that needs to be known and expressed and, um, yeah, in, envisaged, I guess. I mean, it's supposed, to be, it's supposed to be made very clear and known. And so I think in, in some way to then say, okay, that's come to me, the light's come to me, and now, at least in my um, expression of worship, I just like this kind of private, quiet space where I can just be in the dark and I can just really focus on the Lord myself and on what he's done in my life. And, and so I just need to have this private encounter with God. I mean, it just kind of, um, I don't know that that fully expresses or represents what it means to embody um, the gospel. Uh, even to other Christians, we need to be, refreshed by what we see in one another in corporate worship. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts. Um, there's obviously a very corporate, um, congregational, uh, sort of flavor to what he's saying there, that you're admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. If Chris is up in the corner of the sanctuary and he's doing that, and that's supposed to admonish my heart, but he's so in the dark I can't even see him. I can't see his hands raised. I can't see him expressing that God has rescued him from darkness and placed him into light. He's been... He's been brought into this kingdom. 
then is it really able to admonish me, teach me, inspire me, remind me, refresh me? Um, Tim Keller, in this message that some of our younger leaders have listened to in Isaiah chapter 6, um, he talks about how in, in Isaiah 6 there, Isaiah comes into the temple, has this incredible experience with God. He thought he knew God. Um, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And then verse 3 it says, and one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So you, you have even these incredible, um, glorious beings who, as they encounter the glory of God, the light um, of God, they themselves are crying out to one another, Are you seeing this? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so in the same way, I mean, yeah, we're saying, hey, that's what we're supposed to be doing as Christians, even to one another, embodying um, what has happened to us um, through, through telling one another about it. So again, we'll kind of rest our case at this point that light, it just better, a, a little more light in the room, a little more light where you can see what's happening a uh, little more light. Yes, it's it seems to be okay. Maybe not this a secondary sort of thing, but it, it better it better echoes, expresses, and represents what we've all experienced in our being brought from darkness into light. And it better echoes, expresses, and represents what we are to embody in Christ and as Christ followers. And I would just say, like, hey, let's get real. Um, nitpicky here and say, what, what are we trying to hide, guys? What are we trying to hide in the dark? Why would we want to hide what Christ has done in us, right? So I will kind of land the plane here and let my esteemed colleagues maybe add anything they want to add in or uh, uh, allow um, my opponents over on this other side, the lights uh, uh, downside, excuse me, um, Alyssa and Joel and Lucas kind of add pushback if they'd like to at all. So the floor is open. Um, I just throw a, a few things in there. I think it's, there's very clearly an association with God and light in the yeah. scriptures. And yeah. I think in the most basic form of the gospel, it, we, we read that, you know, God didn't leave us in darkness. He mm. didn't stay distant. He, he got near. He, it says in the beginning, you know, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And when mm. Jesus first came into the world, it says he was the light of men. Mm. So the very clear association um, uh, when uh, God inserts himself into working with humanity, it brings with it light. And we are then given the, uh, the invitation to leave darkness, come into the light of God. And where we find not just we ourselves are in interaction with God, we find that God has called many others out of darkness and we see each other, right. we interact with each other as we're loving God, serving God. We're also interacting with the others he's called as well. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking as you were saying that, uh, obviously there's almost such an exhaustive um, kind of thread traced through the scripture of light. We've only barely scratched the surface. But I think you're right in the sense of, um, 
Yeah, I mean, as the scripture describes Jesus, a lot of times it is the light of the world, you know. Um, what you mentioned in John, John's prologue in him was um, life, and the life was the light of men, you know. Um, and and obviously they, the gospel writers kind of pick up on that and see that and then see, yes, like all of us, he's gathering a people, all of us are being brought into the light, and there's something even in that that we're supposed to see, hey, Okay, so in a, in a similar way, in corporate worship, to be able to see our brothers and sisters and to be able to see, you know, in, in some way, shape, or form, what's happened in their life, in their heart, as God has brought them into the light, expressed outwardly, I think is a good and healthy thing, you know? So, Denise, anything you would add? If you look at the story of the Pharisee and the publican, you have light being used with both of these people, but it's who they were bringing glory to that was the issue. Neither of them hid what they were doing. They were both saying that they were worshiping God, and everyone in the temple could see that they were worshiping God. But let's face it, the Pharisee was worshiping himself, and Jesus brought the light to that, that that was not true worship. And then you look at the publican, and he was bringing glory to God, and Jesus pointed that out for him. They were both in the light, but one was using the light correctly, and the other was not. And Jesus made the differentiation between the two. We're going to leave our friends with this one last verse from our brother John, um, who at this point in his life is a great father in the faith. First John, he writes, this is the message we have heard from him, that is Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. As Denise just said, if we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him and with one another. Um, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So, again, amen. You know what? We just think that a little more light probably better expresses, echoes what's happened in, in our own lives and also embodies that better as the collective body of Christ. Well, thank you, Lights Up team, um, for reading your concordance entry on light. Uh, really appreciate that. Ooh, a little saucy there. A little, <laughs> little spicy. Um, spoiler alert From for our, our side. From our non-biased moderator. <laughs> spoiler alert for our side. We're not advocating for the lights to be off, like to be pitch black. Um, I like how you said that light expresses what we have experienced in Christ. And I was thinking about um, the nightlight in my son's room. Um, during the day when the lights are on, you don't see the nightlight at all because all the lights are up. But at night when the, when the room is dark, then you see his nightlight and then you get the glow from, from the beautiful nightlight. So I think that's maybe a little foretaste of what our side might have to say. Um, so... Um. I, mean, I don't know if I would call it your side a, a gospel perspective as much as maybe more a gospel perk of the technology that we have today. Um, yeah, I think 
you look historically through the church, you're kind of at mercy at what time you, um, or at the mercy of what time of, of day they did the service um, to really determine how much light was in there for worship. Uh, like your Isaiah passage works um, for the most part, uh, other than I, I think the idea of calling to one another happens even in a dimmer room. I'd echo what Alyssa said, and we're not advocating for lights off, pitch black, but just a little less light. And I can hear Ken Creviston all the way across the room, um, no matter how much the lights are on. Or but wouldn't you like to see him all the way across the room? <laughs> and, I, and, and you still can. But I mean, the reality is, uh, if you're sitting up near the front, all you're really seeing is the back of the person in front of you. You're not seeing anything happening behind you. Um, I think that case to lights on so you can see what's happening um, probably benefits more of the people either on the stage or in the back of the room who, who are looking forward. Um, and then I think that also begins to I think really um, kind of confront that, kind of like Denise, your, your pastor, that wrestling of if the lights are on and I raise my hands and I look around to see what everyone else is doing, then all of a sudden I'm not worship, worshiping, I'm wrestling with, wait, Am I raising my hands because people are looking at me, or am I really worshiping right now? And there's I just a lot of inner turmoil we have uh, within ourselves because at the heart we want to worship, but we're also a very self-conscious people um, mm. with the light on. And I think that becomes a real um, yeah difficulty yeah. Um, during worship. Okay. Um, all right. Well, now I'm going to do our position, which is I have a thesis, just like you did. <laughs> Bring it on. All right, here we go. Lights down, not off, not off, as Alyssa said. Lights down um, as an atmosphere for cultivating an encounter with God has good biblical and theological support. So lights down as, uh, as an atmosphere for cultivating individual uh, and corporate encounter with God has good biblical and theological support. So let's just start with uh, three potential objections, okay? Here are, the, here are the objections that I hear from you, Jeff, is having the lights down. On the one hand, it puts too much focus on how things look or how they feel. Uh, that's what some people say is, oh my goodness, you're so focused on uh, you know, the LED lights and the smoke machines, and, and this is very shallow, right? When I took this job, uh, uh, I heard from the grapevine that Lucas took this job because he wanted to to go to a church with cool lights. Am I right, Joel? And we all know that we're here. You know, we're here with the cool lights. No, but I'm, it is sometimes perceived as shallow. Like, why are we so focused on the lighting and the appearance of things? So that's one objection. Another objection is that it puts too much emphasis on the individual and the individual's relationship with God rather than the corporate, and you brought that in. And then the last one that we, might, that we might bring in is just it's a wrong theological emphasis in the sense that Jesus is the light of the world. Think about Advent. You know, Jesus is the light that's coming to the darkness and so on. So let's just first look at this atmospheric concern. Uh, are we spending too much money on pro presenter and LED lights and, um, you know, what else? You know, all, all this AV tech. Okay, well, here's this, the first thing that I just want to say is God, all throughout the Bible, cares about how he worships space feels and looks. Um, he cares about how this uh, space of worship uh, impacts your worship of him. Um, we see that all throughout the Old Testament with how God tells 
his people how to decorate the temple. Um, and in fact, um, we, we know from kind of a biblical theological perspective that the temple was actually supposed to be sort of this new Eden, uh, which is why they were told to put um, images of trees in there and, um, and, and all that sort of stuff. So God cares about, he even talks about the type of wood that they were to use and how big the space was meant to be. Um, all that sort of stuff, it's all throughout the Bible. Um, God cares about the aesthetic um, and, and not simply that, God, we, we've done podcasts on this before, but God uses his creation and the materials in his creation to um, engage us and to help us to engage with him. So if, if we say, yeah, the lights down helps me to engage God more, that's not shallow, that's not, being, that's not focusing on the wrong thing. And in fact, part of my job is just to say like, hey, how do I... Like, I, I spend time picking out the slides. I spend time looking at the fonts. I spend time, um, all this stuff. And so, but all of that is meant to be a ministry, and it's meant to say God uses this worldly stuff to uh, help us to encounter him, okay? So that's just the first thing to say. I don't know if anybody's going to necessarily disagree with that, um, but that, I think that's just at the gate. I think lights down. Why does it matter? Well, if it helps the atmosphere, then that's important. Second, though, uh, Jeff, you're right that there's actually, there's a big concern in the Bible for the corporate or what we might call the covenantal expression of worship. Uh, you see it in the Old Testament with the Mosaic. Uh, when, when Moses takes the people out of Egypt to Mount Sinai, there's this corporate gathering where God creates this covenant. The New Testament is the new covenant, every time we gather each Lord's Day, it's this corporate covenantal gathering, okay? What I, I just, I don't want to negate any of that. What I do want to say, though, is that there is also an emphasis on the individual in the, in the, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And um, you especially see that with certain Old Testament characters, like, so Moses, for instance, oddly enough, he's the administrator of the covenant, but Moses sort of is this, he serves as this archetype of encounter with God, so you have Moses going up on the mountain during these Exodus chapters and having these um, experiences of, of worship and awe with God, right? He sees God's, he sees uh, kind of the afterglow of God's glory. His face begins to shine as a result of this individual encounter. Um, uh, he sees God in this burning bush. All throughout Exodus, there's this sort of... Uh, uh, um, centering on Moses as, as this guy who has this one-on-one -on -one worship experience. And then from Moses on, you have all of these different experiences. So you have Elijah and Elisha. You have Isaiah. So Jeff, you brought in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 6. Well, that's an individual's encounter with God. Uh, you have Jeremiah. You have Ezekiel. Um, Ezekiel, um, for, for, uh, at least for later Jewish theology and piety, was sort of this paradigmatic um, uh, uh, person in, in the Old Testament because in e Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel has this, it's almost as if he climbs up to the throne room of God and has this amazing experience. And a lot of Jewish theologians sort of, they try to replicate Ezekiel's experience. And so they try to um, meditate, they try to pray, and they try to climb up to the, the third level of heaven and have this individual experience with God. You see this... Um, uh, even in Paul, when you get into the New Testament, Paul says that I know a man who's uh, gone up into the third heavens and had this conversation with Jesus. And 
Um, so all that to say is, yeah, there is the corporate, but there's also the individual. And, and even later on in the Old Testament, there's sort of this focus on individual piety. Jesus himself is uh, this, uh, this person who would escape the crowds to be one-on-one with his father. Um, and then I, I already said that Paul was, was, um, was a model for that. Also, if you look at the Corinthian church, um, what, what you begin to see is, and this is taken from Paul, and it's sort of handed down to his church plants. When you look at the Corinthian church services, there was this emphasis on individual experience with God um, to such an extent where they thought, hey, if I, have, uh, if, if I have enough sort of experience in the Holy Spirit, I'll be able to speak in heavenly languages. I'll be able to prophesy. And, um, you know, it is true that Paul said, you know, uh, you guys need to chill out a little bit. But in their services, what they were after was an experience of God. That's what they were after. And Paul had to spend several chapters sort of pastoring them through that, saying, okay, you want to speak in tongues? We'll focus on these other things too. Okay. So the point I'm trying to make, though, is taken all together, the individual experience with God is also a biblical concept. And uh, it's very important when you look at the, at the biblical data. So for, for me, just as a worship pastor, I don't want to do away with the corporate, but I also want to fold in all of these different sort of trajectories of individual piety and, um, and, and somehow sort of fold them in together. So you have, first of all, you have, um, what was the first thing I said? Crap, what did I talk about? My first, oh yeah, the aesthetic, <laughs> the atmosphere. Second of all, there is the individual. Okay, lastly though, lastly. So I, 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 I know, Jeff, what your response is going to be here, but I'm still going to go this direction. Lastly, Light, yes, is a metaphor for salvation, uh, right? So it's, it's, I'm taken out of darkness into marvelous light, First Peter, all that sort of stuff. But <laughs> um, all throughout the Bible, approaching God is also often seen as entering into this cloud of sort of experiential, mystical, mysterious darkness and having this dark encounter with God. Okay, now what do I mean by that? Well, let's start with Genesis. I'm looking at my notes. I'm going out of order here. But let's start with Genesis. Abraham, he had an encounter with God in the dark where God uh, made uh, the promise of the Abrahamic covenant. In fact, he put Abraham to sleep and he appeared to him in sort of this dark atmospheric sort of thing. Jacob wrestles with God in the middle of the night. Moses... This one is big. Moses, when he goes and encounters God, we're told in Exodus twenty twenty one that he goes up into the uh, up to the mountain and enters into a thick darkness of God's presence. So just just picture that. What do you picture? What I picture is LEDs, smoke machines. I picture exactly what we have. In the sanctuary right now. That is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I just think, just picture yourself as Moses. What is Moses? He's, now, here is what Jeff is going to say. He's going to say this is Old Covenant. And what I'm going to say is stop being so dispensational. Because I am covenantal. I, I believe that the Old Testament and the New Testament are one big story of who God is. But here's, here's just what I want to say. I, too, share this view. <laughs> <laughs> here's just what I want to say. Jesus is the light of the world. But when you look at the New Testament, 
what Hebrews says, what John says, what the epistles say is that Jesus is, what Matthew says, Jesus is the greater Moses who leads us up into God's presence on a greater mountain. And what's interesting about the Exodus account is that it's like all the people are afraid. (laughs) And they just say, oh, you go, Moses. And Moses is like, you can picture him saying bye, and he enters into this cloud of thick darkness. Well, what Jesus does, according to the New Testament, is he takes all of us with him into that cloud of thick darkness. Okay? All right. One more thing before I I end here. I just want us to think about an Eastern Orthodox piety, theology, spirituality called apophatic theology. Does anybody, has anybody heard of that? Okay. It's uh, based on a Greek word, but it's basically this idea of when you do theology of God, it's best not to say positive things about God, like God is eternal or God speaks truth, because the more that you think about that, the more you're like, well, it's not like this. It's not like that. What it's best to do is it's best to say, God does not lie. God is not a man. God is not created. The idea of this sort of spirituality is that you know God the best. The more that you get to know God, the more you have to sort of do away with your um, descriptors of him. And what the Eastern fathers did was they said it's kind of like climbing the, 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 the Mount Sinai. And you're going, and the closer you get to God, the more that you can't say positive things about you, the more you have to say, like, yeah, but it, the more that God is indescribable. Um, and so apophatic theology just means I, I have to get rid of my worldly ideas of who Jesus is, and, who, and I just have to encounter God, okay? Well, one way to think of a dimmed worship service is, is like this. A dimmed worship service is like apophatic theology, climbing up the mountain with Moses into the cloud of darkness and experiencing God. That's it. And I think we can all agree with me that I am right. And in me, there is no wrongness. (laughs) But I guess what I'm just trying to say is cultivating that sort of experience with God um, is not unbiblical Dimming the lights, having this sort of face-to-face is not unbiblical. In fact, there's a lot of biblical data for it. So there you go. We'll let your team kind of, uh, your team interact with the case that you brought forth a little bit. Anything that Joel or Alyssa you would have to add to Lucas's case? I would add, uh, yeah, as much as we continue to talk about the gospel, so if we want to bring in more of that New Testament to it, uh, I think we can also understand that gospel brings a lot of freedom. And I think with that comes the freedom to adapt some of the cultural tools we've been given, Um, not just to blast all the lights, but to use them to create that environment. um, First of all, okay, can we just... Did I just get interrupted? (laughs) Just as your side is not saying no lights at all, I don't think our our side is saying with our high-waisted pleated khakis... That, that we have fluorescence on the entire time, right? Well, all three are standing there with glasses on, so okay. I just had to assume. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you, Joel. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. So, yeah, we have freedom in the gospel have- to apply some of the tools that maybe God's given us. Yes. Okay. Um, and I think, too, as we look at all the references to the light throughout the New Testament, um, over and over, 
And Jesus is really more speaking to how we're to live out in the world, not through, um, yeah, a modern technological invention um, that we created a couple hundred years later. Uh, so yeah, I, I would again, I would say all of that speaks much more to how we live out in the world rather than when we do gather together among other believers. Say something smart. Gosh. <laughs> well, do you want to give? Do you want us to kind of give a bit of a response here to give you a little time to think on what you would add to with sure um yeah i I mean i think hopefully our listeners are kind of hearing this is a very um cordial playful enjoyable debate um I, i guess one god does care about the worship space and aesthetic i agree with that point um i think we see that throughout the scripture, but specifically in Exodus. And so, therefore, you are a Holiab, right? I mean, that's your job, your role, to think about the worship space and how do we create some something beautiful and, and um, yeah, aesthetically pleasing and something that help us, helps us all to enter into worship. Um, yeah, I, I think also there, there is, like you said, there is also an individual encounter, right, that we all have um, with God, that we're supposed to have with God, a very personal encounter with God. I guess my question is to you guys, what do you think Americans tend to struggle with more? Um, an individualistic sort of uh, expression, you know, um, thinking about themselves, thinking about their own experience, thinking about what suits them, thinking about how, um, you know, all their sort of uh, uh, preferences are being met or not met? Do they struggle more with that? Um, or do they struggle more with, hey, um, yeah, we're, we're all kind of, we've all experienced this and there's this, um, hey, co- corporate... <laughs> There's a there's a also a corporate side of this where this is our story that we're supposed to be reminding each other of and and I would say like on either one of those sides it seems like I mean we live in um, America you know in the 21st century and my my argument would be like we we fall far more on the ditch of in my individual, you know, encounter, my individual expression, my individual preferences, my individual opinions. Um, that's kind of like, uh, I think, the idol that we struggle with far more than, hey, all, all of us are kind of experiencing this together. And I think you bring up an interesting case in Corinthians. I think that's exactly what Paul is referencing. They'd been more shaped by the cultural individual experience and therefore, Paul is in some way yeah, uh, exhorting, rebuking. Hey, that's great, but that, you know. I know, but it, hey, but let let me let me give an apologetic for myself as well because I am taking the position that also uh, Abraham was a pagan, probably living in Babylon when God called him out of uh, darkness. Into but he light. was a believer when God appeared to him. But weren't we all pagans living in our own yeah, spiritual Babylons? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, so I, here's what I, I just want, well, regards to your Corinthian thing, the more that I study Corinthians, the more that I'm convinced that what the Corinthians were after was an ecstatic heavenly spiritual experience that Paul had to, to, um, 
dampen. He had to say, put some order to it. Yeah. Um, that had been for- informed by a, an idolatrous culture that was sure. seeking that, that, the experience. And the, yeah. But I don't know if I would call it individual. But yeah, I would say Paul had to give some handles to their worship experience. Yeah. Um, and even with like the whole heavenly tongues thing, it's like, well, I think he would have probably have preferred that they didn't actually speak in tongues hardly at all. Um, but he still said that he, well, anyways, so I, I, I've been in a lot of different ecclesial contexts, mainly the corporate lights on contexts. So I am not one to say, and I'm the one that's saying, let's do liturgy and let's, uh, uh, do the Lord's supper every week and let's, um, let's, you know, so I think, but I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, there's a way to do both. I think that emphasize that touches on both sides of the individual freedom in Christ and the corporate covenantal sort of thing and I don't think that lights on necessarily one thing that you brought in Alyssa was the nightlight idea like right now we have this big bright backdrop that we could say that's kind of like this metaphor of Jesus's entrance into our darkness you could even like bring that in if you wanted to so where am I going with this I'm not really sure Um, I just think there are these emphases within scripture that we can bring together. I don't know. I'm, I've lost my direction. <laughs> to your point about the individual or collective, I would agree that I think we're probably, um, the Western church is probably the most individual it's ever been. Um, and I think I would love for there to be moments with throughout a worship service where, yeah, where, where I am, you know, confronting the Lord on my own and moments where I'm aware of all the people around me. Um, when I can hear Ken Creviston, when I can, you know, see the people around me. And I think one thing we haven't talked about, maybe this is our next battle royale, is volume level, um, even through worship. So I, I, I love the moments where, um, you know, I can, I can put the mic down and I can hear the congregation singing, and that's beautiful. I don't want that to be every song. I want there to be songs where I can kind of blend in um, with everybody, you know, and hear, hear, and maybe not hear the voices around me, but for there to be moments where I do. And so I think um, I would love to pursue both of those, the, the individual moments and the collective moments within the service. And I think as, in addition to being probably the most individualistic we've ever been, I think we're probably also the most distracted we've ever been. And so having lights bright can just add to that distraction. And um, so I think we could probably have a whole other podcast about the practical aspect of how the lights are in our service. Um, but yeah, I think when, when the lights are bright, it can be distracting to see people around. And I think um, pursuing excellence in our visuals and in our room does not have to mean concert. Um, I don't think anybody here is saying that, but um, it, it doesn't mean that, we're, that you know, we're, we're having a concert where you go in in the dark and you come out in the dark and you never interact with people. Um, I think we can pursue excellence. We can have a beautiful um, sanctuary where we can all worship and it can also be dim. Well, now you guys are just being very gracious, 
Very gracious, nuanced Christians, and that's great, because I, I totally agree with all of that. I think for the sake of just making this fun and debatable, I think we're taking these these sides. But I, yeah, I mean, I think I totally agree where you can have both. You can aim for both. There can be, um, yeah, a balance between, hey, I'm able to come in and and meet with God myself, but also hear my brothers and sisters singing alongside me, um, see them praying and glorifying God in a way that, yeah, spurs me on to do the same. So I think we're all kind of, yeah, landing in the same place. And obviously this this conversation is supposed to be fun and playful. And and, and yet, you know, that, that we're thinking through these things biblically and thinking through them and, and hopefully collectively, uh, as a group of believers, as a group of leaders, kind of going, how do we capture, you know, the best of of all of it in order to you know, exalt Christ and and be His church? So I'll piggyback off of what Alyssa said and kind of throw it back to you guys. Um, how much of Lights On is maybe more of a direct response to feeling feeling like uh, the American church has gone too concerty and how they've um, incorporated lights, darkness, fog machines, all that stuff. Yeah, I would say for me as a pastor, I think we have a very, very underdeveloped ecclesiology in the American church at large. And so I would say, I, I am saying, yes, I see us falling into the ditch of expressive individualism more than I do us falling into like, hey, we we totally understand what it means to be the corporate gathered body of Christ. So so yeah, I'm I'm kind of saying, hey, let's at least kind of course correct a little bit more. Does that include lights up? I don't know. I, mean, I, I but I do think it does include. Hey, you know, this is our story, and so sometimes even coming to church with that mindset of like, hey. Yes, I'm hoping to encounter God myself, but I'm also part of helping others to encounter God. And I see my role in that as part of the body. And so I need to understand that as I come in because it humbles me, gives me some sort of, uh, yeah, um, so, some sort of handles of how I worship. So yes, I would say, yeah, I am kind of, in one sense, building my polemic or argument around the ditch that I think we fall into more regularly as American Christians. Then um, in the same way, if we go back to Lucas's argument in Exodus of how God gifted specific people to design the um, you know, tabernacle in, very, in certain ways, um, is there an aspect of maybe limiting some people's creative gifts and saying we don't want to put too much of an environment within the sanctuary? So my, my, my experience here at Northwest is that there is a greater creative expressive ability at this church. That's what he's saying. Like, so like, for instance, like, um, a Robin is able to shred it on the guitar. But if we were too concerned about like the, um, the, uh, yeah, well, no, no. If we were too, if we were overly concerned with what we don't want to be too, you know, attractional or two. So Robin, miss a few notes um, or no, let's get rid of that guitar solo or whatever. Then 
you actually are doing the opposite and and not utilizing his giftings is what is what Joel is saying. So like when God said, "Hey, I need a specific guy to get some gopher wood for the temple." Well, like here he could be saying, "Hey, I really need Robin, and I'm going to endow him to really kill it on the guitar or Alyssa to um just have this beautiful voice or what, you know, so on and so forth." Um it does actually enable, but I think to your point though, it's like the idea um, that I need to be here as opposed to turning on Joel Osteen on the TV on Sundays. Like I actually need to be rubbing shoulders with the person next to me. That I think is um, not a value in the American church. I, I would totally agree with that. Um, like, or I, I need to be here and sing loudly to encourage this other person to also sing loudly. That's that's very corporate. That's very covenantal. Like that's yeah, that's very biblical. So I think you know both are, are important. Well, I'm gonna break out of Jeff, Jeff's camp here and kind of go to <laughs> <laughs> kind of go to Switzerland here. Um, nice neutral territory, but. I think we can all agree that the Psalms are the ultimate lesson in how to worship. And you've got David who worshiped in the temple. You've got him worshiping in the morning. You've got him worshiping in the evening. You've got him worshiping in the night watches. You've got him worshiping in the presence of his enemies. You've got him worshiping where he is. The surroundings didn't matter. What mattered was that he was bringing his heart to God. And I think that that's one of the things that we as American consumers may have a tendency to come into church to be entertained instead of coming into church with the atmosphere of, I'm here to meet with God. I am here to fellowship with my brothers and sisters. I'm not here to be entertained, and it doesn't matter what the room looks like. I'm here to meet with God, and I think that's the thing that we have to come away from this with. I definitely appreciate the, the kind of the tone, the conversation it has developed in, and I, I would agree as we... Um, we come together, there's certainly an individual experience of God, and we're, we're here, we're worshiping God, we're thanking him for what he's done in our lives. But there's also, a, as we gather together, we're worshiping God together. And I think if you were able to get a, draw a diagram of all the interactions that were happening here on a Sunday morning, you see a lot of interactions between uh, individuals and God, but you'd also see God interacting with us through our brethren. And what it definitely is a balance. As, as the lights are down lower, that definitely is going to, you know, lend itself to more internal reflection uh, upon, you know, what God has done for us. And as the lights come up a little bit, we're going to see one another. And I think one of the things we, we do want to be careful of is, is if we're thinking of lowering the lights to reduce distractions, our brother isn't a distraction. You know, if he's up there in the front and I'm noticing, you know, I'm kind of Notice he's doing something funny during worship. That doesn't have to be a distraction. That can be an, an occasion to be thankful. You know, God, thank you for what God, you've done in this man's life. He's so enthusiastic. 
let that now affect me. Unless Joel is breaking out ribbons and <laughs> dancing around, which he's prone to do in his ecstatic worship. <laughs> but like so many things in the, in the Christian life, if we try and pin it down to one thing, God moves us towards something else. There's definitely an individual aspect um, in, in the Christian life, but there's also a corporate aspect. And if what we find is that we're focused too much on our relationship with God, what we'll find is God bringing us into more of a relationship with other believers. And also, if we're focused more on just the corporate experience, God's going to bring us apart. Hey, I want to spend time with you alone. And so it's not this or that. It, it's both. And I think in recognizing that God works in many different ways. And as we're here on Sunday, um, there is a different aspect to our worship that we don't experience alone. You know, we certainly should be, as David was worshiping God wherever he was, as we decide to come together, as we're called together, you know, what we're called into is worshiping God together. So we want in no way to limit that either. Yeah, yeah and so what we're all really saying is lights don't really matter that much. Um, they're, they're wrong, a tool. Wrong. <laughs> That's the opposite of what we're saying. They're, they're a tool. <laughs> they're a tool to be used um, to draw us into deeper relationship with one another and and deeper worship of of the Triune God. So I think we can all agree on that. Well, I have been keeping score so that we can adjust the lights accordingly. <laughs> Lucas gets a couple points for some SAT words. I heard paradigmatic, paradigmatic, and apophatic. Joel gets a point is... for a, a uh, post-it note for notes. <laughs> we lose some points when Lucas forgot his point number one. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, doesn't even know team. his own case. <laughs> <laughs> the other team had at least 14 scripture references and quoted Tim Keller. But you did lose one of your teammates. I think Denise defected, defected somewhere in there. <laughs> but a million points to both of us for meeting in the middle. That's right. The lights will be... There will be electricity on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> and we would love to hear your thoughts as well. So you can always email us at podcast at northwestbible.com. This In the Narthex is a podcast of Northwest Bible Church. And we really hope that it um, encouraged you and gave you some things to think about. And have a good week. <laughs>